0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the passing shot with Joel and Kim, the tennis podcast by fans. On today's episode, backed by our crowdfunder,
1: DR. Kasper Root serves up a title in Geneva. Goff doubles up in Palmer. And Indian Wells is back on for an October start.
0: Lee, it's another week, another catch-up. We are back down to the 250 level in the build-up to the French Open. Lots of really exciting things happening this week. But I think the, the thing we have to obviously start with is you are not Kim. Kim is on I holiday. <laughs> I know, we, we just need to get that out the way for our listeners. But Kim is on holiday, and Lee, at Tennis on Telly, you are in the hot seat.
1: I would like to hope that uh, the listeners have worked it out that it's not Kim (laughs) by now. Um, Yeah, um, she's not moved to the Midlands. and She's not had some (laughs) random operation. No, it is a different person in the seat. It's me. Um, No, it's good to be here and good to speak to you, Joel. Um, I hope that Kim's having a good time uh, wherever she is on holiday. I'm sure it's well-deserved. But, yeah, it's nice to, you know, thank you for giving me the opportunity to fill in.
0: It's going to be great. It's going to be a great show. We've got lots to talk about. Um, lots of tournaments. As I said, we're down at the 250 level, but I feel like this is sometimes, I feel like with these events, you always get some really, really good stories kind of come out of mm. it when there's not necessarily, you know, the massive spotlight on the, the tour. Um, I do feel though, I mean, in, in sort of classic sort of British weather tradition, I think we, you know, we've, the weather here has not been great. It's been a lot of rain recently and, across all of the tournaments this week I feel like they've all, they've all sort of been affected by the rain haven't they
1: yeah we've sort of shared the the love of the British weather right <laughs> across um, right across central and southern Europe I think um, yeah there's there's been a lot of, of rain a lot of players having to do sort of double duty on some days um, but everyone finished on time um, you know and that was good and, and that was lucky I think because um, three out of the four, Tall Tour tournaments were a Saturday final as well, um, so to finish on time on a Saturday with that amount of rain is good. It reminds me a bit of um, Nottingham a few years ago, which was really, really rain effective. Oh yeah, um, I remember that. They moved that one indoors, <laughs> didn't they? Yes, yeah, was... they moved the early rounds indoors. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm fingers crossed that we, you know, over, you know, we've got, we've had the worst of the rain, and actually, the good weather comes in time for the grass season. Um, yes. <laughs> yes, which we're going to talk about a bit later on. Um, but I think we're going to start with Geneva, aren't
0: we? Yes, we are going to start with Geneva. The rain wasn't that bad. It didn't get to like we need to find the, the closest indoor courts uh, in Geneva to to finish out the tournament. But um, yeah, well, let's let's start in Geneva because, you know, the, the talk going in was about Roger Federer and, you know, returning to the tour. And we'll kind of get on to that in a sec. But, you know, the final that we ended up with was... Casper versus Denis Shapovalov. Rude coming out 7-6, 6-4. I mean, Casper at the moment, I mean, he is flying under the radar, I feel, in terms of the, the clay season. You know, he got to the semi-finals in, in Monte Carlo and Madrid. And, you know, I think this, this title really is just, uh, it's just really, a uh, you know, a culmination of the, the level that he's been playing at, um, you know, since the start of the clay season. He's been, he's been almost Mr consistent and you know in the final against against Shapovalov again his consistency was it just proved to be the it just proved to be too much for for Shapovalov
1: yeah i didn't get to see much of Geneva um this week unfortunately um but uh, yeah I, it's nice to see casper doing you know really well i think he was third seed um he was in the half with with roger Federer. so you know potentially um you know looking at it on paper that probably wouldn't have been um, you know, you wouldn't have expected him to get to the final, but uh, you know, there's all sorts of question marks about Roger Federer. Um, yeah, I like Casper Um I think it's good to. It's um, it's it, it's a funny one because he's you don't expect a player from Norway to be good on clay. You you don't you don't really have many players from. Um, you know, Scandinavia as as a whole anyway, but we have got this at the moment, this little sort of contingent of players from Norway and Sweden and Finland sort of making waves, um, on the ATP tour. And I think that's really great for those countries that, you know, that they, they do have, um, you know, big tennis fan bases there. They just don't have many players. So it is really good to see players from that part of the world doing really well.
0: Yeah, I mean, Rude's game, I mean, just looking at it on, on the screen, it, it does feel like it actually is a bit, it is definitely, I think you can see why he's doing well, I think, on the, on the clay surface at the moment. You know, he puts a lot of topspin on the ball, uh, puts a lot of work on the ball from the baseline. And I just, you know, felt in that final, you know, he was, I think, attacking the, you know, the single-handed backhand from, Chapovalov and whenever he felt like it dropped short and he felt like he was able to kind of take control of the rally that's what he did and i think that was his you know that was almost his game plan from from point 1 and it really really kind of you know set i think the you know set things in motion for him and you know i think going into the french open he is going to be one of those players that i don't think anyone is going to want to play because he, as I said, he's just flying under people's radar. I don't think we've, we haven't really spoken. I don't think anyone's really been speaking about Kasparud, despite getting to, to uh, you know, Masters Series finals. No one's really speaking about him. So I do think he's quite a, a dangerous sort of floater when it, it comes to, to Roland Garros. Do you, do you think? Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: Um, definitely one to watch, um, and I shall be tuning in uh, to watch his matches um, at Roland Garros, for, for sure, because I'm quite excited.
0: And just kind of moving on, because uh, Shapovalov as well was in the final. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, breaking news, I was actually just sort of, uh, script, uh, you know, scripting before, before we recording. I think Shapovalov is actually out of Roland Garros. He is, like, yes. So I don't know, I don't know what's happened there, but it, that is a massive shame because he looked, he looked very, very good this week. And, you know, I th- was thinking, you know he had that heartbreaking match i think against nadal um you know the, the week before you know i was a, i was a bit sad you know i thought it was i think you know it will be one of the you know a match of the year candidate you know candidates but i wondered if that was going to affect his kind of confidence but um you know he came roaring back uh, got through to the final and again he's another player who you know, i've got really really big hopes for him i don't think it's happened of course just yet but i think again this week he just showed how much potential he has on court
1: yeah, it's a shame that we won't see him at Roland Garros. Um, we're not quite sure of the reasons um, for that withdrawal. Um, I would assume it's an injury, um, you know, a week out of a, from Roland Garros um, to be withdrawing sort of that early suggests that it is an injury that he's picked up um, or a niggle that he's picked up in Geneva. And, isn't, you know, it's not something that he feels is going to be ready um you know, in a week's time. But I, like I said, I didn't see the final. So I don't know if there was <laughs> anything that was noticeable during the final with Shapovalov, whether, you know, there was any, you know, noticeable visual nickels there. But it is, it is, it, it does suggest that it is something a little bit serious to be pulling out a week before. Because otherwise, you'd expect the player to, you know, sort of manage it over the next week and make a decision closer to the time um so yeah but it might you know for all we know it could be something personal it could be family we just don't know at this point so i don't think it's worth speculating on what that could be until we know the reason for that
0: but i mean just talking about his game because you know i think he has you know when i I think about him compared to all the other kind of sort of players on tour all the up-and-coming players on tour i genuinely think he has one of the the easiest on the eye games uh from (laughs) From the kind of fan point of view, we all know his single-handed backhand is absolutely glorious, um, and you know he's a very aggressive player as well. And again, I think you know regardless of that result against you know Nadal, where he you know he felt he he probably should have won it. Again, he's had a pretty solid kind of clay showing. You know he will obviously be disappointed. He won't be able to kind of put that to the test at a Grand Slam level. But um, yeah, I think I think my only kind of question about him is that. You know, not not just necessarily kind of getting over the line and and that sort of you know when it comes to those really big points that he's able to to finish the job, but I do wonder if his game is almost too easy on the eye and whether he is getting <laughs> into a like a Gail monfi sort of territory of there for the you know the hot shots to put the on show YouTube. on rather than yeah yeah because I felt in that I just felt in that final that Rude although it wasn't as flashy. Mm. It, it, you know, on a clay court, when you can be Mr. Consistent, you know, high percentage tennis, it it, it that can get you through. And I think Shapovalov, you know, I mean, he's probably kind of aware of it because you know I think we 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 speak about this in in terms of his game over the you know particularly when he since when he bursts onto the scene, but it's it's getting the you know the gritty things done. And and yeah. yes, you can have that flash, but you need to be able to you know be the you know the dirt the dirt baller as well.
1: Do you know i don't think there's anything wrong with with having a particularly flashy game you know if that's what works for you most of the time anyway and you feel like you're you know putting on a good i don't know whether it's putting on a good show is more important than you know reaching the finals or you know and earning the money but i think once you're once you've got to a level where you are comfortable um, as a player and you know most sort of you know top 50 players are going to be pretty comfortable, you know, in, in with their with their lives, <laughs> you know, the amount that they earn. Um, you know, for some players, you, you know, you you reference um, you know, it's it perhaps that sort of being a bit flashy to them is just their way of having fun, um, and that's perhaps more important to them to be enjoying playing the game than trying to reach, you know. 25 Grand Slam finals or or, or or titles or whatever, you know, um, because if you look at, you know, the era that they're playing in, when you've got the big three and you've got Djokovic winning pretty much everything he enters, um, be realistic. You're, you know, yes, you might get to the final, you might get to the odd final here and there, but you're not going to be getting all getting to all of them. So, why not enjoy and have fun along the way?
0: I definitely agree and I think Shapovalov you know at the moment I think that there's certainly work to be kind of done there and yeah it'll be a shame I hope he, he is ready for the the grass court season because I do think he is one of those players that because of his game and the way it is built that he's definitely a, a, someone who can attract he can attract fans not necessarily in tennis at the moment because his game is so kind of easy on the eye but um Another player who was in the, you know, the Geneva Open and perhaps was all the, you know, the big talk at the start of the week, top seed, uh, you know, back on, back on the clay, back at home, uh, Roger Federer. Um, who was back, uh, he had Pablo Andujar. I mean, me and Kim shamelessly probably last week in our predictions, we just thought that was a, <laughs> was going to be quite an easy match, you know, world number 75. Uh, you know, we thought he was going to kind of come through that, but, um, no, uh, Anduhar kind of spoiled the party, you know, one in an hour and 52 minutes, six, four in the third. Um, he came back from four, two down in that final set as well. I mean, what, 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 what were you kind of, thinking what was what was kind of going through your head when that was happening because for me that was a big that was a big surprise you know I was not I was not expecting that you know Roger Federer one of the greatest of all time yes he hasn't played on played on clay in a while but I was sort of expecting him to go a bit further than he did um you know is in his home tournament
1: I don't know. The, the the highlights that I did see of it, because I caught up on that one, you know, deliberately, so that I'd have something to talk about. <laughs> um, no, the highlights that I, that I did watch made the, the match to me look pretty close. Um, I don't know whether you got the same impression as you, if you watched the whole of the match, um, the highlights real that, that, the ATP did actually put out And bear in mind it was only four minutes um, Did concentrate quite heavily On Federer as opposed to Anderhar So most of the points that they showed Were like Federer winners or flashy Drop shots and things like that and They had a bit of luck at the net a couple of times um, But yeah um, Surprised to um, Not you know surprised to see it go to Three sets and surprised to um, See andahar get the win there um, But then going Into that match we pretty much had no idea about what Federer's game was going to be like. Did we? You know, um, you know. I can. I, it feels a bit like um, Andy Murray going into the tournaments earlier in the year. We had no idea what his game was going to be like. Um, I don't know whether Federer, whether it was just because of timing that he felt that this was the right time to go into and play a tournament before Roland Garros. Um, whether had it had he had the opportunity, he might have played a couple more. Tournaments, you know, at a lower level, but it's just that he just hasn't, can't, you know, there isn't the space in the calendar to squeeze them in. Do you know what I mean?
0: It's interesting because you know there are there are people out there who are who are kind of saying you know shouldn't Federer be just focusing on the you know the grass court season and you know forget forget the clay, forget the French Open. You know, the fact that we've got that we've got that little overlap as well in that in the second week, the grass court season is not far away at all. And you know he has been saying in you know his interviews that Roland Garros is not the goal, Wimbledon is the goal. So I mean on I guess there are going to be some people who are going to say well on that logic then you know why you know why well, you why why, why play these tournaments? Um, obviously this is at home and there's probably a you know a deep you know emotional connection there. You know this was you know a first time in a long time he, he's played at home, but. You know, do you, are you, what were what you thinking? Are you kind of surprised that he's, he's decided to, to kind of play the clay with the grass court just so, I mean, so quickly, um, you know, off, well, <laughs> like at literally at the same time as the, as Roland Garros?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a it's a different it's a different scenario with Andy Murray because Andy Murray doesn't have that connection so much with any of the, the Clay Court tournaments. We don't have any of them in the UK. So it's kind of the natural thing for him to wait until he can make a comeback on grass and he's gonna play Nottingham Challenger and he's gonna play Queens and that will be, you know, his his you know, springboard for Wimbledon, hopefully. Um with with Roger it's a bit different because yes, um, you know, Roland Garros is probably his nearest slam to home, although we probably don't consider him, a, a, you know, a specific, specifically a clay court specialist. You know, he's more of a hard and grass court player than he is clay. Um, but and then Geneva is is one of the tournaments in his home country. It's not the only one, but it's the one that's at the right time of the year. Um, I think, you know, you haven't he hasn't got that opportunity um, to do that on grass, you know if he's aiming for Wimbledon, he's going to have to come and play in the UK anyway, or, or, um, you know, one of the tournaments in Germany, perhaps, Um, which wouldn't probably, you know, it's not so, not so bad, but I think, you know, for him, it's probably making a big deal about coming back and seeing his home fans as well. Um, You know, because obviously his, although his support is huge around the world, um, you know, Switzerland's his home country, isn't it? So to play the tournament in Switzerland, to sort of announce his comeback is probably not a bad thing to do it's just a shame that he didn't get past you know his first match um and we didn't see any more of him so yeah
0: but i mean one swiss player that did did do this well did do well this week uh, on his debut in fact was dominic stefan stricker mm. he beat marin cilic and Marton Fucevic to get to the quarterfinals um and you know 18 years old obviously very early days uh he's he, you know, just looking at some of the highlights again, he's, he's got a really nice serve on him that really was really really effective. I felt uh, was one of the reasons actually. I think he got to the quarterfinals, but um, with Roger Federer, you know, we know everyone knows we're sort of coming to the end, sort of there at some point. Um, I mean, what did you make of of Stricker? Because I thought he looked, I thought he looked quite good.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I've only really got the scores and the stats to go on, but to sort of, it surprised me that um he beats somebody like like Chilich who we know has got you know a good a good serve. Um you're only gonna beat someone with a good serve by having a good serve yourself. Um because well not not only but you know mostly that's that's what you're gonna need to sort of counterbalance that. And that's why you know you end up with these big servers versus big servers and they're seven six six seven seven six. Um, <laughs> which isn't always the most exciting tennis to watch. Um, you know, especially if you think of players like John Isner, who just, you know, bang aces down the line all the time. I don't think it, it's, we're quite talking John Isner style big serving, <laughs> but, um, you know, at the end of the day, if that's what works for the player, it comes back to like what I said about um, Chubovlov earlier. If, if that works for the player and that's what is their main weapon in their game, then... Why change it, you know? And and, and I think that's and it's, a, it's an example of that where um, we have a player here who's, um, you know, because I don't think there's many sort of young upcoming players that have that arsenal. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I
0: agree, I agree.
1: There's, there's a there's a few, but not not very many. So, um, you know, is is he going to be a future? Swiss is that, or or is he? <laughs> you know, I love I mean... that. <laughs> Swiss, he probably doesn't want to think of himself like that. No. But uh... Do you see where the comparisons are going to come, though, aren't they? If, yeah. if that's his main. If that's his main sort of weapon in his game.
0: Yeah, it was interesting because. Federer, he, he he shared a practice court with Federer in Dubai for three weeks during preseason, and and Federer talked to him about his serve and and basically saying, you know, you've got a really good serve, you should work on that, and and that's effectively what he did, and I think it it paid dividends in uh, in Geneva. But um, let's let's move on to kind of Leon, uh, the other ATP two fifty kind of going on. In the, you know, the men's side, Cam Norrie from Great Britain, uh, getting to the final had an unbelievable week, um, facing Stefanos Sissipas. Sissipas coming through, uh, 6-3, 6-3, pretty regulation final. But I mean, massive, massive, massive strides for Norrie. I'm not really sure what we learned about Stefanos Sissipas. It's like we, we also, we sort of already knew he, he's, he's one of the four players on, on a clay yeah. court and you, we, we were sort of, Yes, Dominic Team was the the top seed, but we were sort of thinking, you know, this was... If the form player was going to win this, it was going to be Tsitsipas. And lo and behold, that's what happened.
1: Yeah, I think this was a pretty much kind of standard run-of-the-mill average tournament for Tsitsipas where he knew what was expected of him and he went out and did it. And, and you know, there's, there's not a lot more to say on that, to be honest. I watched the match um, against Norrie. Um, both of them played really well. Um, I think... Sitsipas had the slight edge in that there were just no doors open for Norrie to sort of make any headway with Sitsipas, um, whereas Norrie had a couple of unforced errors, a couple of double faults here and there, which Sitsipas just jumped on straight away. Now, Norrie's game I like because it's it's very sort of difficult for a lot of players to sort of work with, and 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 sort of he he you know he has the right. Sort of mentality going into the game, and he knows when to sort of jump on those points, and that's exactly what he did with Hatchinov earlier in the week. And um, not so much team; I think more of the, the team match was more team wasn't there rather than Norrie yeah. being there. No, but um, you know, but with Norrie in the form that he's in, I think you know I expect him to be beating a mid twenties player in the rankings like Hachanov at the moment. Um, to beat team was kind of a surprise, but um, you know, I was was caught really, really been really impressed with how Norrie's been playing lately. Um he's had twenty three wins this year, which is the most of anyone on the tour. So that just goes to show how well he's doing at the moment.
0: Oh, hundred percent. And as you said, the the two standout victories this week were against Dominic Team and Kachinov. And it just they weren't just victories. I mean, they they were pretty comprehensive. I mean he beat Dominic team three and two. He beat Cam. 6 sorry. He beat 6 six one six one in the semi final. Just to give an idea of the the level he's at. I think the biggest shame is that it's it's not really being affected in the the rankings and the seedings. He's still unseeded, um, which is a bit. It feels a bit of a mockery at the moment because he is one of the the most informed players, and I think he'll be you know he'll be slightly I guess disappointed that he wasn't able to win his his maiden trophy. You know he had that final against um, Ramos Vanolas in, in Estoril that uh, you know it was it was a bit of a heartbreaker he lost in a, in a final set tie break but you do feel like the form he's in the season he is having it, you feel like he's he's very much knocking knocking on the door um, do you see do you see he, him able to kind of carry that onto the grass do you think this is just kind of Cam Norrie just working really really hard on on a clay court but or do you see it kind of continuing on as well
1: I don't know. It's it's a bit difficult to say because obviously we've not seen players play on grass for for Mm. a good two years now. Um, But then Norrie's only been playing on clay for three years. Um, I think it was about three years ago he beat um, Batista Ragout at the Davies Cup and he'd not played on clay at tour level before then. Um, So to see where he's come from that point of not having played on clay to, you know, getting to, Finals on clay and doing really well against really, you know, on paper tough players. Um, I think is is good progress. Whether that translates to other surfaces, whether that translate, I think obviously I think he has worked on his clay game, and I think in a way his game probably does suit clay because you can, you know, move about and be awkward on clay more than you can on on grass and on on hard courts. Um, so whether that translates, I'm, I'm not sure. It, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see. Um. Yeah, it's 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 a really good it's a really you know good game to watch though. I find it really entertaining to watch in that respect because he does put up a really good fight.
0: Yeah, and I think you know I think we, amongst casual British fans they might remember Dan Evans more because of that that win he had against Novak Djokovic in in Monte Carlo. Mm. But I think if we're being realist, you know, if we're being realistic here, I think Cameron Norris probably had the more consistent season on 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 the clay surface which for me was a bit of a which which was a bit of a surprise i know dan evans is not is not also great on on clay and has made strides as well this season it just feels that like Norrie has made like greater strides so far but you know it's definitely kind of very reassuring to kind of see um just talking about players who had a week to forget i mean you said dominic team wasn't there this week it was a week to forget um he said that, you know, I, I admire him actually for his honesty. You know, he said that this was a huge step back for him. And, you know, I quite admire him being quite open, um, but it, it definitely feels like his confidence has been knocked from this result. Despite a few sort of positive direction sort of moments, uh, you know, in the, in the build-up, this felt like so far it was like two steps forward, but this was almost like three steps back.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do kind of... You know, obviously, he's he's in a rut that he needs to get out of. Um, So, you know, it's you know, I don't blame him for 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 playing since the the Masters tournaments, you know, and, and trying to get there. But, um, you know, he's not he's not taking a wild card into any of the tournaments this coming week. Um, I do wonder if he's now starting to think in his head, why would I put myself through that pain if I'm not going to make the inroads that are expected of him? I think it's more that. Because of the success that he's had in the past, he feels that there's expectations on him now. Um, I don't, I don't, I think they've been there for a while. I don't think that's anything new. Um, but you know, it's. I I, th- I I do worry that he's now gonna now gonna struggle at the French Open, and um, you know, because he's not had. Um, if he doesn't get him out of this himself out of this mindset, I, I don't know. Whether, I think it is a mindset. I think it's I think it's mental more than anything, to be honest with, Do, with Dominic Team. I don't think it's the physical thing. I don't think it's his game. I think it's all in the head. Um, but I think he needs to get himself out of this mindset. And well, it might be that actually, you know, he thinks, okay, we'll go into Roland Garros with with no expectations personally. Yes you know, fans are going to have expectations. But if he's got no expectations personally, he's got nothing to lose. I don't know how many ranking points he's got from last last time or whatever um, that might affect his his thinking on that. Um, But so if it was me um, and sort of looking at it, trying not to sort of think of any outside influences, I'd probably think, yeah, I'll go into Roland Garros with no personal expectations for myself, see how well I do. If I do, you know, if I get – into the second week, right? If I don't, it's not the end of the world. We'll just, you know, close the chat close that chapter of the book, and move on. Do you get where I'm coming from with that? It's...
0: Yeah, I, I I agree. I think he is a player now. I think in terms of Roland Garros, we can't rule him out because we've seen his pedigree on a clay court. Um, but at the same time, we've not really seen enough in terms of results for him to really warrant himself up there with the the big favourites, which is probably the biggest surprise given. You know where he's been at the last kind of couple of seasons, so
1: yeah. And I, I was going to say, I think if I think if he's um, if he gets in the draw, you know, one of these upcoming players that are you know showed that they're really good on clay, someone like Massetti or or Norrie even, for example, um, you know, in the draw in Roland Garros, I think that's going to really he's going to really struggle. He needs a favorable draw, a favorable I, draw. I, I, Garros, I, I agree. Absolutely. I, agree.
0: I think. I, I actually think if, if he fades Norrie in, in Roland Garros, I, I don't care if it's best of five sets. I think Norrie's winning that in yeah. you know th- three or yeah. four or whatever. But um yeah, we will have to wait and see on that. Um let's move on to the women's side and talk about the WTA two hundred fifty in Palmer, because we had Coco Goff. Coming out um, as the top American, uh, listeners might remember this is a tournament that had so many Americans uh, <laughs> in the draw. We had Serena Williams, Venus had in
1: America.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it felt like it. It felt like it should have been on a hard court. Um, but yeah, we had uh, Coco Goff come through in the singles and doubles uh, to double up. She won both tournaments. I think she is the first teenager since Maria Sharapova in two thousand four. Um, to do that as a teenager so it gives you I mean that is it's that in itself is very very impressive but just kind of talking on the singles alone she had some very very impressive results I was actually most impressed by her quarterfinal win against Anna Samova another sort of upcoming player I'm no doubt they played against each other in the juniors Um, but yeah I mean goth goth this week it's just I think for me she's just shown that there's been progression there on a clay court and yes, there was all that hype that was put on her, you know, Wimbledon whenever, you know, whenever that was a few seasons ago, but I've, you know, I feel like now we've seen, you know, marked progression from there and it's, it's really good that she's sort of backing, backing herself up.
1: Yeah. I was sort of, you know, I I tried not to get too much on the Coco Go hype train when, when that kind of happened um, a couple of years ago, but I can, you know, she's she's proved herself. I think you know that she's she's doing well. She's going deep in these tournaments. Um, winning singles and doubles at the same tournament doesn't happen to very many players, and it only really happens sort of once or twice a season, really. Um, you know, players like Serena Williams have done it multiple times, but um, it doesn't happen very often. Um, where you get a player who's Decent at both, at, you know, at both disciplines, um, singles and doubles, to, to be enough to to win the same tournament. So that is a real achievement for her. Uh, um, despite the fact that it's a, a two fifty event and it's not a huge tournament, I don't think that really matters. I think she'll see that as an achievement, winning both titles at the same event.
0: I mean, talking about other Americans, we've obviously got to talk about Serena Williams and Venus Williams. I mean, Serena Williams was the top seed. She, you know, she got she got one match in. She beat Lisa Pagato, qualifier, uh, from Italy um, in the first round. But then she lost in straight sets to Sinyakova, 7-6, mm. 6-2. I mean, it was not the, you know, we, that that was not obviously the build-up she kind of would have wanted. Um and you know, I was a bit, I was a bit surprised. Um, I was really, really hoping we were going to get that Serena Williams, uh, Coco Goth semi-final that looked potential, looked like mm. it could potentially happen on paper. But sinyakova had com- had complete other ideas. And I mean, where does this leave Serena Williams in the French Open? I mean, again, I feel like it's like a, we can't rule her out in a sort of Dominic team style way, but at the same time, we're not, we're not really seeing any results there to to suggest that she really is one of the favourites.
1: No, and I think this situation is different, again, to Dominic Thiem in Lyon and uh, Roger Federer in Geneva in that Serena Williams, it's very rare for her to play a tournament between the Masters and the Slams, you know, one of the, you know, the big the tournaments. The 250, yeah. Yeah, I mean, how did this wild card even come about for her and Venus to, to, to play in Palmer? It's a, a very strange one. I mean, obviously they are in the region because um, you know the the, the, the Academy is there and that's where she'll have been training and she was at the Grand Prix in Monaco today, so she's not very far away from sort of northern Italy in that sense, being in southern France. So it's not a difficult thing to you know, it's not like she's jetting halfway around the world to take a wild card somewhere. Um, but it, and, and it's also, it's not like a Petros pass situation, whereas hmm, if I come and play, can I have one for my brother? You know, it, it's not that situation either. Um, but it does, I, you know, I did wonder whether the wild cards was more about, was more for Venus than it was Serena, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, to be honest, (laughs) regardless of getting a wild card, it didn't really do, really really do much help. Um, and it was a bit sad, really. I think to see, particularly with Venus Williams kind of losing to Shmiedlova in the the first round, it's just a bit, you know, this is not the Venus Williams we want to see on a tennis court. I know that I get that, I get that her kind of her glory days are, you know, are you know in the rear in the rear window, but it's a bit sad to kind of see greats of the game kind of go out in that way but um you know it's still you know it's still great to see these players on the court and doing these things at the age that they're doing it's still crazy but you've got to remember i think serena williams and roger federer were like almost one after the other on on that day um across Geneva and Parma and they although well, despite being, you know, two of the greatest of all time, they both went out to opposition you would have expected them to sort of take care of. So, you know, there's still a lot of there's still a lot of work to be done. But um let's let's finally end on Belgrade, uh the women's event, another kind of two fifty. We had uh, we had Bedosa winning against Anna Konuk in the final. Probably not the way that she would have wanted. She won 2 love with a, a retirement. Uh, we don't like to see that. I mean, Konuk is a player who has, I think, you know, we know that she's got enormous potential, and it's sort of been it's sort of been kind of checked by industry industries by <laughs> injuries um, over the the seasons. But um, yeah, Bedosa is is again a really informed player at the moment I think she's won 13 of her last 15 matches or, or something like that so another in-form player taking home the trophy
1: yeah um I watched the semi-final on Saturday morning and uh Kanye didn't sort of she didn't seem very confident about playing the final um when she was interviewed so clearly there were, you know, issues that she was already aware, <clears throat> issues that she was already aware of that um, she was worried about. So I'm kind of glad that she went in there and still played it, because um, it could have quite easily been just a walkover final, and that's never good to have a walkover in a final. Um, you know, obviously they happen sometimes; it's unavoidable. But I'm glad that she went out there and she, you know, um, did play. I, I'm hoping that, um, you know, that's the right decision to do that because. Sometimes if you play through an injury, it can only make it worse. Um, I didn't get the impression that that was the case with her um, when they interviewed her on Saturday morning. But obviously it was enough to be a concern um, to have a, at least go back and have a think about it before then making the decision. So, um, But, yeah, it wasn't the most confident of um, interviews after the match, after the semi-final finish, because obviously it was double duty as well, having been held over from the night before, which can't have helped in terms of, um, you know, how much sort of strain she might have put on that interview. She's doing, you know, something that, you know, unexpectedly having to come back and play in the morning
0: yeah, it was. It felt a little bit like maybe, perhaps, too much tennis in in too little time. Um, hmm. But I mean, I mean, Conny again. I think she's having a regardless of that retirement. She's having an absolute stellar season. I feel like she's at the moment sort of nailed on for comeback of the year, um, given the the level she's managed to get back to, and it's really been really really impressive. But yeah, Paula Badosa on her day at the moment again is going to be another force to be reckoned with uh, on the clay courts in paris okay we are going to be taking a quick break now but join us in the second half well we will be looking at indian wells the australian open and the grass court season don't go anywhere this is the passing shot and you are joined by joel and lee and we are now going to move on to mysterious player lee are you are you nervous? Are you excited? I know you've had feel like you've been excited all week
1: potentially. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the the second biggest thing of my week after the Eurovision song contest, which <laughs> we are we are we do not talk about we're after, not talking afterwards. about it we're not no. talking about it um, yeah. so yeah, it's I, I am quite excited. I did tell you earlier in the week that I am usually useless at this, so either. I, i'm expecting either you've done, done one that's really really easy or i'm gonna have no hope whatsoever so <laughs> uh, yeah let's see how it goes um, okay yeah
0: <laughs> well you know you know how it goes i'm gonna give you a clue yeah. and i want an answer and i'm gonna tell you if you're right or wrong okay. okay right clue number one is i was born on the 1st of may 1982
1: okay so about a year older than me so no, so we'd be thirty-eight now. Okay. I don't know anyone <laughs> I don't know who is. it's just from the okay. date of birth, so okay. <laughs> but I've got a you know an area to think about in terms of age. Okay.
0: I turned pro in nineteen ninety-eight. Next clue?
1: Or... Yeah, move on. I'm not gonna get it from those two.
0: <laughs> okay. I have twelve career ATP titles
1: um 12 atp titles age 38 no i think i'm going to need another one
0: i have reached a career high ranking of number five in the world
1: okay pretty decent then but 12 atp titles doesn't sound i think you'd have mentioned if there was any grand slams in there but you might not have yet so
0: so no guesses so far
1: No, no guesses so far.
0: Okay. You don't want to embarrass yourself, do you? I'm I'm all about embarrassing myself. How many clues are there? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got a few I've got a few more. I've got a few more. So okay. My best result at a Grand Slam is reaching the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, US Open, and the French Open, where I reached the quarterfinals five
1: times. Okay. Five times at the French Open quarterfinals at the Australian Open quarterfinals at the US Open but no mention of Wimbledon I feel like I want to sneakily google like some uh, ages because <laughs> I am rubbish with ages any guesses I think he's older but my first guess at the moment is Fabrice Santoro
0: <clears throat> Incorrect it's not Fabrice Santoro I think he's older anyway um but no I li- I quite like it but it's incorrect. Um okay next clue. I have won 3 Davis Cups in 2004, 2008 and 2009. So Davis Cup finals part of the winning squad. I don't know if you can three remember the country.
1: Well. Oh, yeah, 3 years as well. I feel like that's something that should be really obvious. <laughs> um, but it's not ringing any bells um, go
0: on I was going to say Victor Troitsky but I think
1: he's too old
0: as well mm, incorrect it's not Victor Troitsky no, I think he's um, early 40s okay I've got a few more clues I feel like these might be a bit more obvious now I am known for playing with sunglasses and a bandana
1: oh David Ferrer
0: Mm. incorrect it's not david ferrer it's not david ferrer
1: Um, okay maybe
0: maybe on this clue this might help you i once gave the middle finger to andy murray at the net in valencia
1: oh god who was that
0: (laughs) all the british fans are just screaming at you right now i think they probably Mm -hmm. are yeah
1: (laughs) and my mind has gone completely blank yeah, it's middle
0: finger. Really, really good, really, really good final. I remember it. I'm it, sure it when Andy Murray was think- on like a war path, like can- through
1: all the tournaments. I can think as well. Oh, could can... oh. Next clue. Fail miserably. Yeah, I'm going to fail miserably. <laughs> this.
0: I am perhaps most famous for beating Roger Federer at the U.S. Open in 2013 in the fourth round in straight sets. And I th- I think also he beat Dan Evans in the third round. I could be wrong, but I think he beat Dan Evans in the third round. And
1: I've got one clue left. So. I've got beat Federer at the US Open in 13. Mm hmm. Any ideas? No, I can't think why. I can't think here it is.
0: <laughs> okay, final, final, final clue. I was born. In Barcelona, Spain. Born in Barcelona. I think Kim is. I think Kim is shaking her head right now.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So Spanish. I could picture him as well.
0: I'm going to give you a countdown, and I want a final answer. No, no, Three. No, no, no. Tommy
1: Robredo. Correct. It's yes. Tommy Robredo. Yes. Oh gosh. Tommy yeah, Fabredo. that's a name I've not heard for a long time.
0: <laughs> He's still playing. He's still on active <laughs> ranking. I I was surprised. I when I when I researched him, it said is a current ATP tour player, and I was like, is he? Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was Tommy Robredo. Um. So yeah, listeners, let us know how did you how did you do? Did you were you were you screaming at Lee uh, sure to give him the the right answer? <laughs> I I feel like they might have been. Um. It's like oh, you yeah, can listeners. Pick-
1: I could picture him, you know, giving the finger to Murray, but I couldn't get the his name wasn't popping into my head. No, that was a good one. I like
0: that. Okay. Well let's <laughs> let's, right, let's move swiftly on, because you know, I think you can you can you can rescind yourself here, I think. So <laughs> we do we do have a question in our passing shop mailbag and it is from Patricia Lowe, who got in touch with us on Twitter, and she actually had a question that was specifically for you, Lee, and and she wanted to ask was what's your view on referring to tournaments before Grand Slams as warm up preparation? Do you think this is the right phrasing?
1: It's a good question. Um, we touched on like earlier players sort of playing tournaments between the big tournaments. Um, you know, Dominic team playing this week, and Serena and Venus playing this week. I think. I think it's a bit unfair to call those warm-up tournaments. I think we see it especially with the grass court season because the grass court season is so short. Um, I think it's a bit unfair to refer to those tournaments that happen between rowland Garros and Wimbledon as warm-up tournaments. They are sort of tournaments in their own right. And I think using that phrase kind of undervalues those tournaments because the way I see it is... Kind of compare it with the qualifying for Formula 1. If you're new to Formula 1, you're probably not going to be interested in the qualifying before the race happens because the qualifying, all that does is determine the order of the cars at the start of the race. There's no points from qualifying. There's no special prize. There's no trophy for qualifying. But in tennis, the tournaments that happen before the main tournaments have points they have prize money in their own rights and they attract good players as well you know there are players that will play those tournaments and they're worth going to and they're worth watching Um, yes some players might sort of use it as a warm-up i think you know we see we see players then we we do wonder are they taking that tournament they're playing ahead of a grand slam so seriously because their focus is on the grand slam you know And this is where it comes down to not reading too much into performance, um, you know, before someone goes into a Grand Slam. But for the the majority of players who are ranked below sort of the very top, those are their biggest chances of getting trophies and points at those tournaments. Um, So I think to just call them warm-up tournaments, I mean, you know, a player like... Cam Norrie doesn't go to Lyon to play that as a warm up for the French Open. Yes, it helps him for the French Open, but he's going to Lyon to play to win Lyon. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So, yeah no, I, I agree. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, it's 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 one of those funny ones because we don't expect the the top top players. We don't expect like the big three. We don't expect Serena Williams to play a tournament between um uh, between Grand Slams or at least between the um the 1000 events in the grand slams and it's a surprise to us when they do and it makes us think well if they are going and playing that tournament there is there a lack of confidence in themselves that they can go straight into and play the grand slam because that's essentially what those really top players do now is they literally just play the tournaments that are the biggest tournaments you know you can you can you look at someone like Serena Williams and she can play all of the all of the grand slams and all of the mandatory tournaments, and she'd still be ranked pretty high. That's not possible for the majority of players. Um, yeah, so that's where I sort of sort of you know sit on that one is I like to give tournaments the recognition that they are in their own right. I think about when Dan Evans won the tournament in Melbourne just before the Australian Open, and he said, you know, he didn't go there to to play and win that tournament. He went there for the Australian Open. And no one's going to remember that he won that tournament. I think that's not the right mindset to have. And I think, to be fair, he probably spoke a bit of the heat in the moment at that point. Um, but I'm sure that, you know, every day when he looks at his trophy cabinet and he sees that trophy from that tournament in Melbourne, he'll go, actually, yeah, that was a good tournament. And I'm glad, you know, glad I played it. And I'm really proud that I actually won it yes he didn't go very far in melbourne afterwards and it did affect his performance in in, in the australian open at the at the main event but you know it's not going to be his last australian open is it he's going to have more chances to play and and you know he's reached four rounds of grand slams um i'm pretty sure he's going to you know go further than that um in the future so you know just 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 an example of where for some of the players i don't think they want to be getting into that mindset too early because you know they're going to have those years opportunities come come later on anyway. Um, and actually, it's a good time earlier in your career to be playing those tournaments between um, for the you know and win those trophies. And then you be, then you can look back on later in your career and actually, I didn't just concentrate on those grand slams because like, look how many other things I achieved.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a delicate balance, isn't it? Um, hmm between you know, between the Grand Slams, between the one thousands and and the the next slam and in terms of kind of what you do and and how that perspective changes, I guess, depending on you know, your priorities and where your, your ranking is. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a good question. I mean, thank you, Patricia, for, uh, letting us know, giving us a question for the mailbag listeners. If you've got any other questions for the mailbag, please do contact the show as well. But let's move on back to the tennis and let's talk about Indian Wells because this week it was announced that Indian Wells is back on. It's coming back in October um it was originally scheduled for March but uh yeah Tommy Haas the tournament director announced that it will be played what I'm assuming is in the lead up to the US Open um on the ATP and WTA tours as a 1000 event I was a bit I was actually a bit surprised I thought we were just gonna you know although it was sad because you know we've not had it well, what well, I thought we weren't going to have it twice in a row. I thought we were just going to have it the next time, but it looks like the Sunshine Double is is back. <laughs> really. It's just on a very, a very elongated, uh, very elongated
1: return. Yeah, it's it's it, it come as quite a surprise to me as well. I didn't expect to see Indian Wells back on the calendar in 2021. It's um, the the They've not announced an actual date for it yet. I think the announcement has said October, which actually puts it after the US Open. Um, So, yeah, and that's what's interesting about it, because you would expect it to be sort of aligned with the US Open. Um, That said, you know, if you're going to put it directly before the US Open, you've got to look at what you do about Cincinnati and and the other tournaments around there. So um, that kind of makes sense. Um, I think the sort of the justification around it is um, we haven't got the WTA calendar confirmed beyond the US Open yet. So I think the WTA itself is quite flexible still in terms of what it does. And the ATP, although they have got a calendar, I think, you know, the further ahead they play with it and mess with it, um, the better. But there's some doubts about whether the... Events in China specifically are going to actually take place. Um, so, the, if, if they've announced in October, I see that as being probably the you know the fortnight starting the fourth of October, which is on the ATP side. That's Beijing and, and Tokyo, and then Shanghai. And on the WTA side, that's Beijing again and Hong Kong and Tianjin. So. That makes sense for me. That that would be where it fits because that's going to be if those tournaments don't happen. There's a gap there to fill. the The interesting thing about that then is how does that fit with the other events that are going to be before and after it? Are you know it, it's going to be quite different for the players to be playing in. You know, let let's say that the Asian swing doesn't happen and the only opportunities there for around that time of year, once the U.S. Open has finished, are indoor European hardcore tournaments where it's starting to get cold outside, um, you know, it, you know, wet outside so they're indoor. Players are going to have to adjust from being indoor in the cold, in air-conditioned arenas possibly, to then going over to the West Coast of America, which is, you know, eight, nine hours time difference, playing outdoors in the heat of California. I don't know how cali- how different California is in October to March. Well, I imagine probably not much different, to be honest. Um, but yeah, playing in the heat outdoors in California and in the sun, and then going coming back to Europe and playing again in indoor air conditioned arenas. How many players are really going to want to, you know, make that switch to and fro? Do you know what I mean? For the sake of a two week Masters tournament.
0: Yeah, it's it's a yeah, it is a it's a funny one, isn't it? I, I, I my personal feeling is that they don't really know what's going on in Asia at the moment, and this maybe perhaps buys them a little bit more time because this is a massive tournament. This could take up you know two weeks in the calendar, for example, and it, it just may perhaps buys them a little bit more time, but um it's you know we we know i think this season has been very fluid the atp and wta is sort of make it up as you go along you know they're releasing they're drip feeding the the tours um you know by you know you know by quarter really it feels like at the moment and um you know it's still not concrete but indian wells will be there it's going to be it's going to be completely packed no doubt in terms of that that calendar and, and what kind of players do um you know we've got the olympics as well potentially um you know there might be a risk that you know players burn out but you do you think that indian wells dubbed the fifth slam uh, of the of the season um you know it's going to attract all the all you would think it would attract all the big names but um let's wait and see um let's look at the kind of australian open now because there was some interesting again interesting news this week around Australian Open 2022 specifically and there's some talk at the moment that there is potential that the Australian Open uh, won't be in Melbourne um, in 2022 but potentially could be played somewhere else like Dubai or Doha now you can if you can remember listeners the uh, tournament uh, in 2021 qualifying was done out in in the Middle East but it looks as if there is potential that the Australian Open next year even though it feels like we've got through the worst of the the pandemic still might not necessarily be in Melbourne
1: yeah it feels like a long way away to be thinking about this Um, but I'm sure that you know actually when it comes to planning um, you know big tournaments big events like the Australian Open you want to start as early as possible so I think you know it it makes sense that they are thinking about these kind of issues already um i think it, it to me it kind of doesn't make sense and and i don't profess to know everything about the thought behind it because um we only see what's been reported in in you know the australian press but t- to me 2021 what they did this year proved that they could successfully hold the Australian Open in Australia. Yeah. So why change that and why make that <laughs> <don't>, any different? <laughs> I think that's what
0: a lot of people are thinking. Um yeah. and also in terms of the the economy as well and yeah. you know what it what it brings to the surrounding area. You'd think that, you know, they are gonna do their utmost to to keep it there because to, to hold it out in the mid you know Middle East I mean, you know, we've seen that before with like, you know, the cricket, you know, the the the, the IPL, the Indian and Premier League has, has been played out there but um you know the feeling that you know hopefully that by then the pandemic hopefully is sort of subsiding you know you know at the moment you know australia is sort of got l- very low rates feels like yeah, you know, it should should you know should be able to kind of take place in melbourne it feels a bit of a surprise that yeah this news is coming out about you know potentially mooting that it, it could go could go
1: into the middle east i mean the, the situation in australia with coronavirus is different to most of the rest of the world in that there is very very little if any community transmission there because they have kept they've kept it out um that's not what's happened obviously in other parts of the world it depends probably how far along they are with their vaccination process in australia whether they feel that um you know they're going to have you know, the, the, the highest popul- percentage of the population vaccinated by that time so that they are in a position where they feel that they can comfortably open the borders. But obviously those are questions for the Australian government. They're not questions really for Tennis Australia. Um, part of me wonders whether this is based on experience from the previous, um, the, this year's Australian Open that the players have had and perhaps it's the players don't want to go through the quarantine and all that kind of stuff again. Um, Personally, I think if it was me, um, it's the Australian Open. I'd want to play it in Australia. I think, you know, there's not a lot going on just before Australia. They could do the whole um, tournament bubble thing where they have the tournament, you know, the pre, uh, let's not say warm-up tournaments, we've been there, but, you know, the, the tournaments ahead of the Australian Open, if they held those at Melbourne Park again. That again potentially could be a solution. Um, I don't necessarily think that that needs to happen again. Um, but if you know if players are coming into Australia and quarantining again for um, for two weeks, um, they're not missing out on a lot beforehand. It may be that we have to have a slight calendar shift again, so that they're not doing it over Christmas period, maybe, which wouldn't be wouldn't be very fair on on players to expect them to do that. I don't think because that you know family time is important to them. Um, but yeah, it's it seems like it's this, this sort of report has sort of perhaps jumped the gun a little bit and um, I don't think it's a bigger problem as this press makes it out to be. I do find that Australian press <laughs> kind of blows things a little bit <laughs> out of proportion sometimes um, and I think this might be an example of that. <laughs>
0: let's let's talk about another grand slam and just generally speaking that the grass court season which is upon us i don't want to dwell too much on this because it is going to be on us in a flash where we can talk about it in a bit more detail then um but we've had wimbledon come out and say uh for fans that they're quietly confident that they're going to be able to bring in more than 25 percent um of the usual kind of capacity this summer um Let's, so fingers crossed on that. That sounds like the, all the positive noises are being made at the moment. So that looks quite promising. Um, the one thing I do want to speak about, Lee, is the entry list for Queens, which was announced this week. Now we know Andy Murray isn't going to be in there, uh, is going to be in there on a wild card. I mean, just looking at this entry list, you've got your top players, your top eight seeds at the moment I and mean, this is just the entry list that all these players could in theory pull out uh we've got Berrettini as the top seed Schwarzman Shapovalov Raonic Sinner Dominoor Stan Vavrinka who's not playing the French Open and Aslan Karatsev as your top eight seeds I mean just very quickly before we kind of go into kind of previewing uh the next week's tournaments what do you make of the what do you make of this entry list
1: Um, Because I can
0: give you some strong (laughs) views for an ATP 500, um, but they're probably not audible uh, for a podcast.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a little bit disappointing. I mean, where's Stefanos Tsitsipas? You'd expect him to be on there. Where's Grigor Dimitrov? He's played this tournament. You know, for, for years and years and years, and he's not on there. Um, yeah, it is, it is slightly disappointing. I think the effect of it coming straight after the French Open, as opposed to having that week in between, which you'd normally have, has probably had some effect on players. Some of them probably not seriously committing to to grass this year, especially if you've not played on grass for two years, um, they're not going to know, you know, they're not going to be able to sort of base what their form on grass is going to be like from last year because they wouldn't have played it last year. So for some people, if they've really concentrated on their hard courts and their, their clay court games, grass might just not be seen as important and it might just be a case of, okay, I'll go I'll into Wimbledon because I have, you know, it, it, you're automatically entered anyway and I'll play it because it's a big event. But aside from that, do I really, you know, want to want
0: to do that i mean if i'm a tournament organizer i am hoping that well i'm expecting anyway nick i mean nick kyrgios who's been out of the wilderness it looks like he's going to be doing a proper grass court season he is the first alternate so expecting him to be in there feliciano lopez also third alternate you'd expect him to get in um i know kim would be excited to see but it's unlikely salvatore caruso is 14th alternate so (laughs) qualifying
1: (laughs) <laughs> <Maybe>. Yeah, prob-
0: <laughs> probably um so yeah lots of um i mean yeah it's it, it's not the draw that i think you know we've come to expect over the years and you know we know the talk about sort of ticket prices and do these you know does this even warrant it but uh, yeah it's a bit of a the, the only sort of positive thing i can say really is that i actually genuinely think andy murray could win that tournament um you know the, wow the, the number... is, it, is this
1: gonna be a prediction now well <laughs> i'm not maybe not a prediction just yet but
0: i honestly think that given his you know his history there um andy murray on grot it just feels yeah, and that, I expect, and that field...
1: well. I expect him to do well um i i would be surprised if this field looks um the same when we actually get to it because that inevitably there will be some players who perhaps go deep in roland garros um who will pull out um, of this. It could be wild cards as well. You know, yes, Dominic Team yes, could absolutely. go out in the first
0: round, but he's exactly. probably going to play. Well, let's let's see. Let's wait and see. But um, let's let's kind of wrap up this episode and, and kind of look uh, ahead to the final tournaments before the French Open. Uh, let's start with Belgrade 2. Um, we have Novak Djokovic as the top seed. Uh, listeners might remember he lost to Karatsev in Belgrade 1. So I guess all eyes will be on Djokovic in terms of whether he can win the title in front of his home fans. I mean, Baslashvili is in his top half as the third seed. Manorino and Monfis in the bottom half. I mean, I think this, is, this feels very much a Djokovic walk in the park, really, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it, I mean, you know, it, it, you do wonder whether it's the right thing to do to play a 250 right before the French Open for, for Novak Djokovic, um, but it's his own tournament. It's, it, you know, it's called the Novak Tennis Centre where they're playing. So, it, 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 <laughs> it, pressure. It, it, yeah, I mean, you know, the, you know why, why schedule it in there if you're not going to play it? So, um, I expect him to do it. It reminds me a little bit of um, Eastbourne 2017, which he won, and then he um, reached the quarterfinals in, in Wimbledon. Um does that does do we do we read much into this that he's playing a two fifty before a Grand Slam? Um, because you know the, the years afterwards he he went on one Wimbledon and didn't play anything between um, between Roland Garrison and Wimbledon. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of that strange week before uh, a Grand Slam for him. But again, it's his own it's his tournament. So why wouldn't he?
0: And let's move on to Parma because we have the men's tournament in Parma next week. Lorenzo Sonigo is the top seed. Lee, I honestly, Benoit Pere is the second seed. I don't even know how that is actually possible.
1: <laughs> um, well, his, can you, can, how, what, how? I don't understand. His ranking's 30 something, isn't it? So, you know, if, if, if the week, again, the week for a Grand Slam, you don't expect <laughs> lots of top ranked <laughs> players to be in there. So, Very actually, true. yeah, kind of makes sense. Um, and he, he's got a good draw, I think, in the bottom half, you know. Um Camille Munar in the second round or a qualifier. He played Gasquet in the in the in the quarterfinals. Yeah, quarterfinal? So,
0: I'm going to stop you there. He's losing what? to Munar in the second round. I'm, I'm nailed on. He's so. Nailed on. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Um,
1: okay. So yeah, and I know
0: we've got we've got Caruso Bedene as well in first round. That might have happened today. I'm not even sure. Um, uh, but, I don't think um, he did, but I do I like gonna, yeah. watching
1: Bedene, so i would keep an eye out for that one
0: um and then finally we have strasbourg uh the wta 250 uh this is an intro i think this is quite a strong draw for a pre a pre french o- pre french open tune-up i mean bianca andrescu is the top seed you have got jessica bigula as the second seed uh quite quite tasty i think um i mean andrescu again and complete unknown she's had i think she had covid and then she's had injury troubles um you know, how how long is she going to last? Is she going to win it? I feel like all all options are on the table at the moment.
1: Yeah, I think she feels like she needs matches to see where she is. So I don't blame her for going in and playing that one. Um, in this draw, I think I want to keep an eye on Julia uh, Putin saver. Um, I think she's got a good draw in that top half. Um, if we're not expecting, you know, she's in the top half again with Andrescu and also with Venus Williams. But I don't think we're, we're going to expect them to, uh, you know, if we're not expecting either of those to reach the final, I think Poots might be a good shout for going deep in this in this draw as well.
0: I'd love a Venus Williams Andrescu quarter final, but I That'd just be good. don't feel like that's gonna happen, but no. like, let's <laughs> wait and see. Um, we also have Roland Garros qualifying uh start tomorrow. Uh quite a few Brits
1: playing. Although it's a week later than it would normally be, it feels like it's come round quick. Um yeah, so the Brits playing this week, uh Liam Brody. Jay Clark, he's likely to play Dennis Novak in the second qualifying round if he gets through, so that would be good. Um, on the women's side, we've got Harriet Dart, Francesca Jones. She's got the top seed, uh, Vera Zvonareva in the Ooh, first the round. One. Yeah. uh 9 30 in the morning on Monday morning <laughs> as well not the time you want to be playing top scene mm. um Samantha Marie in there we've not seen much of her lately and um assuming that she signs in tomorrow because there has been a withdrawal um Jodie Burridge should be in that drawer as well but I'm not quite sure where um just a few other matches that I've picked out from Roland Garros um Mackenzie McDonald versus the Nasi Kokinakis, and Kanakis just won the Challenger and Biella last week. Yeah,
0: that is um, tasty.
1: That should be good. Jensen Brooksby versus Cedric Marcel Steiner. Brooksby's been doing really good things in America. He won Orlando and Tallahassee back to back on the green clay. So how's his game going to translate to the red clay? Um, it, the Aussies are making a big deal of Tommy drawing this 16 year old French guy, Arthur Fies, who apparently has absolutely nothing to lose, according to the Australian press. So um, <laughs> that'll be an interesting one to see if Tommy gets through that. Um, on the women's side, you've got Irani playing Vickery, and there's a couple of like, all US encounters with Asia Mohamed and Whitney Osweger. Os- I knew I'd get this wrong. Osigwe <laughs> and Christian versus Coco Vanderwey as well. Um, oh, wow. And that's all yeah. starting Monday morning.
0: Oh, very exciting! And where can listeners uh, watch the USA? Sorry, so, US
1: Open? <laughs> watch Open.
0: Watch the French Open coverage. It's because you put it in blue on the script. Like, <laughs> blue hardcore. Um, but where, where can listeners follow the the French Open?
1: So the French Open, the the main um, tournament itself will be on Eurosport and on ITV4. Um, The qualifying all this week will be on Eurosport and on Eurosport Player. So um, the easiest thing to do is get Eurosport Player, pay for it for a a month and you've got it all on there.
0: Great stuff. And listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Catch-Up with Joel and Lee. If you want to stay up to date on all things in the tennis world, including the French Open, make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. Whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to us, make sure to subscribe and hit that hit that subscribe button. And if you have been enjoying listening to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to
1: leave us a rating and comment. And you can also follow the podcast on social media on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. It's at Passing Shop Pod. And you can email the show on PassingShopPod at gmail.com.
0: And we will be back next Friday. Next Friday evening, we'll be doing uh, our Roland Garros draw preview episode. We'll be kicking off all of our Roland Garros coverage as we go into our round by round uh, catch ups during the the main event. So I hope you can join us for that. Kim will be back. Uh, It will also be the return of Collector Set, which I know... A lot of people have been, a lot of people have been, uh, excited about and talking to me about. So, um, that is also on the card. So I hope you can join us for that. Um, in the meantime, uh, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We've also got a passing shot meets a little bonus pod, uh, for our listeners going out probably on Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, it's with the tennis live scores app founder Lewis. Uh, it was a really really good uh, recording we recorded it last week so we're going to be putting it out tuesday wednesday so look out for that one too but uh lee it's been great having you fill in uh, for kim this week i hope you've enjoyed yourself
1: it's been a pleasure no it's been really good to, to to join you on the pod yeah really really enjoyed it so thank you for having me
0: and in the meantime listeners, we'll let you get back to the tennis and we will see you again soon i'm not gonna lie that was a pretty shocking uh turn of events for mysterious player uh, what do you think what do you think kim is is thinking right now about your your performance she's
1: she, do you know what she's never gonna let me fill in for her again I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't you have just done someone really easy <laughs> and i got it in the no. first question <laughs>
0: And Lee, going back into tennis on telly mode, a little bit of a bonus uh, for our listeners. I know you've got some juicy gossip with regards (laughs) to the grass court season coming up and and TV coverage.
1: Yeah. So just sort of saving, saving the best till last. No, it's not really the best news, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, So... listeners may have noticed because some of the advanced listings have come out for Eurosport that Nottingham is not showing um, on the listings for Eurosport alongside the second week of the French Open. Um, that had obviously some concerns about, well, wh- why is that not there? Um, my understanding is that th- there hasn't been an announcement yet about um, who is going to broadcast the um, court events in Nottingham, Birmingham and Eastbourne. Um, the BBC is secondary rights holders in this one, so that one's not so much of a worry. But um, yeah, there's no confirmation yet about who's going to broadcast these that have been previously broadcast by Eurosport in the past um, because it's not showing in, in the listings. So this, this does. You know, tie in with some sort of wider concerns about the grass court events, you know, that have struggled to get the sponsorship until last minute, is that because they don't feel that they have enough eyeballs on the tour- Then you know, they're not going to have enough eyeballs on the tournament because they don't know who's going to broadcast it and that kind of stuff does make you wonder about Eurosport's strategy as well. They dropped Geneva this year. They've yet to announce their renewal of the Australian Open. This is their last bit, Roman Garros, on their current deal, and Amazon are rumoured to be interested in that because they've got rights in France. So it just makes me wonder if there's a bit of a change in direction as far as Eurosport are concerned as well because we've seen them cutting costs. But, yeah, it's kind of worrying that we are a couple of weeks uh, probably three week, you know, three weeks out from the grass court season, and on the WTA side, we currently have uh, no idea where we're going to watch it. Um, so, yeah, just <laughs> that's that's the little update. We're expecting an announcement from um, probably from the LTA or from whoever the rights are awarded to once that happens. But it's just a bit of an unknown, and it just you know, it's a bit of an uncertainty around that. Um, it's a bit concerning when it makes you wonder how much money are they're going to make at these tournaments from, you know, having limited numbers of fans there um, and not having, you know, big sponsors there. Um, Does it all sort of tie together? I don't don't know. But um, yeah, at the moment, we don't know where we're going to be able to watch that. So I'll let you know if we find anything out.